BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Monday, January 29th, 2024. Alastair Crook is here with us. Will Israel self-destruct? But first this. Judge Napolitano here. Do you know that we the people have reached $34 trillion plus in debt? It's unsustainable and it's growing. Our government is addicted to printing money and it's not going to stop. And if you believe that, as I do, then you need to understand why gold prices will continue to rise along with our staggering debt. In this report called $3,200 Gold, it explains how rising debt will cause the value of gold to rise and it could reach $3,200 an ounce. Listen to some of the stats that I pulled from this report. They make a very strong case for the likely surge in the value of gold. In 2002, gold was $256 an ounce and the national debt was $6.5 trillion. Last year, the debt broke through $33 trillion and gold exceeded $2,000 an ounce. That is a 400% rise in the debt and a 700% staggering rise in the value of gold. And now the debt has hit 34 trillion and the value of gold continues to rise along with it. It's great information from my friends at Lear Capital and I encourage every one of you to call today and get your copy of this report. There's no obligation to purchase. It's a free report. It's free education. Call 800-511-4620 or go to learjudgenap.com and when you talk to my friends at Lear, tell them the judge sent you. Alistair, good day, my friend, and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for your time uh, and uh, and all of your thoughts. Uh, is did the there's there's still an effort on the part of the United States to undermine the uh, ruling of the ICJ? We'll play a clip in a few minutes of Admiral Kirby uh, insisting that his original characterization of the allegations against Israel as meritless still stand. I doubt that that's the way the rest of the world views it. But my question to you is, did the ICJ burst, the the International uh, uh, Court of Justice, burst the Israel bubble of moral rectitude? Yes, very clearly it did that. It, It said there was a plausible case of genocide 
Uh, and there was a plausible case that it was intent on genocide, Israel was intent on it, and there was a plausible case uh, that um, it may be committing acts of genocide. But it, this is so important, and of course the rest of the world was watching it all. In, in, in Europe it was pretty much blacked out on Friday, the, on France there was almost nothing. In the UK, it was only the Financial Times. The rest of it was, I mean, it was very, very silent about uh, the judgment, which I think speaks to the fact that people realize that this is a, a really important uh, 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 event. And, and that's why it's being, if you like, disappeared from, from the pages. But the rest of the world have already seen it and listened to it and were watching it on their phones. Um, the judgment given. And that is a very important element because, you know, for all this time, no one dared say anything, your language was monitored, you were very careful of what you had to say, and then suddenly the ICJ ends that and says it themselves, that the actions that were being taken by Israel um, could plausibly be called genocide. And of course, that's going to affect not only the rest of the world who are going to pursue it, and it's not over yet. And it'll come up with the, probably in the Security Council after the 30-day limit is when Israel is required to, to report back to the court. But it's also uh, other people are going to come with other cases to the ICJ about past behavior. And of course, it is conflated has been conflated with a Western claim. It's not just the Israeli claim, but the Western claim to moral rectitude, to a moral vision for the future, uh, which is unassailable and is the vision for all. And this has exploded that too. So it really is going to change, it's going to change politics. It's going to produce a shift in politics, in people's thinking, um, because of what was said in that, and suddenly, the moral rectitude of the West, Israel, and the bigger West behind it, has suddenly been put into question by an international jurist. Uh, international jurist. By putting into question the moral rectitude of the West, do you think there was a hint, an implication, a warning that perhaps the United States could find itself in the dock? for its material, substantial, financial, political, military support of genocide? Well, as you know, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer, and so I can't answer it um, correctly. Uh, but I think prima facie, the answer is yes. But also, I would think certain individuals uh, must be in the frame and must be very concerned and probably are being careful about their wording. I don't know if you've noticed or if your viewers noticed, for about three weeks now, we've heard nothing about the rules-based order any longer. It's gone from the discourse. Blinken used to use it, I think, pretty well every other day. And now suddenly no one talks about the rules-based order because the rules-based order has just turned on the West and said, actually, you're not as morally um, prob probity. There's not that moral probity that, that, that you think you have. You've actually been guilty, potentially, plausibly, of serious crime. Uh, why do you think 
this is so downplayed in the mainstream media uh, in the West. I mean, it's almost across the board. If you were to look at the headlines of the mainstream media on uh, Saturday morning, no condemnation of genocide, no finding of, uh, of genocide. Of course, if you listen to Prime Minister Netanyahu, he blasted it. If you listen to the foreign minister of uh, South Africa, she uh, embraced it. But the mainstream media picking sides as it does, how moral is that for the mainstream media to remain silent on an issue of this magnitude? They're, they're highly embarrassed, but it's more than that. I mean, it is going to shake the power structures because uh, the the Israeli project has been at the heart of Western politics, not only foreign policy, but also its domestic politics, because this was something that was unassailable. The moral rectitude of Israel couldn't be touched, couldn't be questioned. And so there are enormous if you like, the industrialization of that sort of moral rectitude argument across the form has empowered platforms, platforms like which we call generally the lobby, but those platforms have been empowered by the moral rectitude of, the, of that particular, of Israel as a project, and therefore somehow as supporters of Israel and as the guarantees, guarantors of Israel, uh, then the West as a whole becomes, if you like, shares in that moral probity that mm. we've uh, ascribed um, to Israel. Moving from the moral to the military, mm. uh, is Israel no longer feared by its Middle Eastern neighbors? Uh, yes, that is the case. It's been happening for some time. Um, uh, a big change taking place. But more importantly, Israelis now believe that Israel is not feared, um, not only internally in, within Israel, i.e. they are subject now to a new level of insecurity in the land of Israel, uh, but they don't see, they believe that uh, outside of Israel, they are no longer feared as once they were, and this spells insecurity and an existential threat. And so there is a sort of mis, uh, mass uh, <coughs> psychosis forming um, of insecurity and existential threat that, you know, the, uh, what is going to happen to the um, Zionist project. And the Zionist project is increasingly boxed in. It's got nowhere to go. And this is why people are getting very frightened because you know, the Gaza war is not just that it hasn't been very successful. It's been an outright failure. And Israelis are grasping that fact. It's a failure. And it has been the cause of multiple deaths and injuries to Israelis instead of being a vehicle to remove Hamas. And in the north, um, there are daily uh, exchanges of fire. There are no Israelis living there anymore neither near Gaza nor in the north, they're all displaced elsewhere. And so there's a great existential fear. And this is what prompts Israelis to say, you know, uh, if, if people don't fear us, if Hamas doesn't fear us, Palestinians don't fear us, if outside Iran and Hezbollah don't fear us, then we can't go on. 
and we must have a victory. And that's why they're talking about shifting the focus away from Gaza uh, to Hezbollah. Hezbollah is known as, a, 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 if you like, a, a respective resistance group. If Israel feels it can get a victory over Hezbollah, perhaps all that deterrence would come back and suddenly everyone would feel frightened of Israel again and its deterrence would be restored. This is a huge gamble, big risk. They're betting everything on something which may be um, leading them not to some great heroic victory coming back in triumph um, like a sort of a Greek warrior um, to adulation, but actually maybe to their demise. And this is why Israel might be self-destructing because Hezbollah is a completely different kettle of fish than Hamas or any of the other sort of any of the other groups that they have been facing. This is a major fighting force. So uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu says he has Israel, his, his government has two goals. Uh, one is to uh, rid the world of Hamas and the other is to return the hostages. Most of us believe those are just the stated goals, but that his real goals are to expand greater Israel uh, from the river to the sea. Whatever you think, if he's telling the truth or not. Does Israel have any clear path to any of those goals, returning the hostages, uh, destroying Hamas, or spreading the footprint of, of Israel proper from the river to the sea? VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Well, on the first two, no, they don't. I mean, there is not going to be, in my view, a, a, a hostage uh, <coughs> settlement um, for one simple reason, uh, that the terms demanded by Hamas, if they're accepted by Israel, um, would end the paradigm of security for Israel because Hamas will have won. And that's unacceptable to uh, many, most uh, Israelis, there was a poll that came out just the other day, which showed that 94, that's the Peace Index poll, that showed that 94% of Israelis thought the level of force used in Gaza was correct, was justified. And there was only, there was another percentage of 42 or something like that, 43% that said it was too little and should have been more. Um, so, you know, he, he is reflecting something that is uh, a mainstream in an Israeli sense. And so the other thing that he can do, can he get the hostages back? Can he defeat Hamas? No, 
So that's why there is such pressure going, coming from within Israel for Israelis to say, how do we break out of this trap we're in? How do we smash the walls down and reestablish ourselves um, in the Middle East? And the answer is, we need a bigger wall. Um, that's the only way we can do it. In other words, the catharsis of, of war. But it's being fueled by more than that because it's becoming very much an eschatological um, war now. It is a war in biblical terms, good versus evil, of Amalek. You kept it was in the in in one of the segments before the court um, in the Hague, where the uh, where the soldiers were dancing and calling for an Amalek um, to be visited on the Palestinians. So where, when you move into that. You, new sort of energies, new primal forces are released. And that's what's happening in, in, in Israel. And of course, it's meeting a response in the rest of the Arab world. We're there too. We're too. I mean, it's becoming something that is increasingly, I've said before, eschatological, but biblical in the sense that this for uh, ordinary Muslims is about, you know, the what's happened to um, Islamic civilization for the last thousand years. It used to be, I mean, one of the biggest main civilizations in the world. And it's been on a slow, so continuous decline, largely for the last 500 years or so, um, caused by the West and its frequent interventions in the Middle East. Um, so there's a real sense that this is a, a struggle uh, that is, um, you know, an Armageddon-type struggle, that one side, a testing of the sides, and one side will prevail and one side will not prevail. And so this is why it's becoming so much more serious. And that's why you see sort of figures like 94% of Israelis um, supporting the amount of violence, which is horrifying to many in the West. Yeah. But that's why it, it, it is happening because it's suddenly becoming a sort of biblical struggle, good versus evil, of Western civilization against Islamic civilization. All these things are now mixed up in it. Can um, the Israelis expand the war without the United States? And if the answer is they cannot expand the war without the United States, what happens if they do and the United States gets cold feet? What happens if there's a swell of public opinion uh, over here uh, that the Israelis are slaughtering innocents and we can no longer be a part of it? Uh, I, I mean, that's a question to which no one has an answer. Um, uh, Hezbollah has been very carefully pursuing its equivalents. So it does an equivalent at the moment. It recently, it's been military post for military post, soldier for soldier. Now it's expanding it somewhat and it is group of soldiers for group of soldiers. But it has kept within this, if you like, geographical uh, domain, um, but only until something happens. And I think we're in, at the moment in, in a sort of pause where neither Hezbollah nor Israel wants to instigate it. So we see Israel provoking Hezbollah severely um, killing their leaders and killing their um, men from the Radwan force. Why? Because they want and hope that if 
um, Hezbollah overreacts and comes back and goes and attacks the depth of Israel, then Biden will have no choice. He will have to come in and he will have to support Israel on this. Now, Hezbollah understand this equation exactly. Uh, over the weekend, uh, three American uh, soldiers were killed and 34 uh, were injured at an American base somewhere, Syria or Lebanon. Um, of course, the, the cries uh, over here are for immediate and massive retaliation. Our colleague Larry Johnson reports that the instrument of their death uh, and injury uh, was not a, uh, a cheap uh, drone, but a sophisticated uh, missile. How uh, dangerous will it be if uh, President Biden accepts the advice of some of the crazies in Congress, like uh, Senator Graham, uh, and bombs Tehran in retaliation? Well, let me go to the first part of your question initially. Um, uh, the Star 22 is probably just inside Jordan, but it is connected and it's the hub, logistics hub, to Al-Tana, which is the big American base, a legal occupation base in Syria, which was set, put there purposefully to, do, to disrupt the supply lines to Damascus. It's on the main road between Damascus and the south from Syria. And that has been attacked before. Um, now, TAR-22, there are lots of reports that it was basically an intelligence gathering um, uh, uh, structure. I don't know. It may be, maybe not. But it was hit there. And there were also hits on Al-Tanakh, I believe, at the same time. But there are no clear details of that, so I can't confirm that. But what I would say is, you, you, you know, this context, this, this background, uh, during this period, um, the United States has been attacking and killing the leadership of the Iraqi resistance movements, the, Hash, the Hashad, Hashad al-Shaabi, and they've been attacking those and killing them. And this rocket was likely um, a rocket that was fired by, um, <clears throat> um, by a group uh, which is called Hezbollah, but it's nothing to do with the Lebanese, um, uh, and it, this, this, this is definitely, um, you know, payback for some of these earlier American attacks on their leaders. And it does put the United States in a very difficult position. Incidentally, you know, it's not even clear which the mar the border there is not demarcated between right. Jordan and Syria. So you, you're never quite sure what's in what. But I think probably Tower 22 will turn out to have been, is in Jordan. Um, but it was serving this, as I say, illegal base, um, which the United States has been using for training the insurgents against the Syrian government over the years, um, and also to block um, the, if you like, communication lines between Syria and the other states to the south. Um, and they, I think, will think that this was a valid target. What is America going to do? I think we've just seen, I, before we c came onto the session, I saw that the, the Pentagon is saying um, it doesn't really make sense to attack inside Iran. 
it makes better sense to, you know, retaliate for this um, outside of Iran, i.e. in Iraq against the Hashad al-Shabi or um, somewhere like that. I, I, I come back to what I've suggested all along. I don't think that the White House, I don't think that the Pentagon wants war with Iran, and rightly so, because, you know, uh, the United States might lose it, put bluntly. Who wants wider war? Does Joe Biden want wider war so he can run for re-election as a wartime president? Does uh, Bibi Netanyahu want wider war so that the Americans uh, are involved and he can pick some target that he can uh, that he can beat? Well, I mean, you know, if there was an easy target, the, that's always a sort of option for for someone running for office. But I mean, this is Iran certainly is not an easy target at all. It's quite the opposite. It's nothing like Desert Storm and the Iraqis in you know two thousand. I mean, all that time ago, which was, you know, they were fighting something very, very different. I mean, this is a serious military power uh, with support from uh, Russia. And I don't think he wants that. I think he's still in containment mode. I think you see it all the time. You know, he's trying to sort of contain um, the Houthis. They're asking China to intervene with Iran to get... um, China to persuade Iran to, you know, to, to, to lower the flames from Yemen. And they were trying to sort of limit the response to the Houthis. But the Houthis reacted after the last attacks, uh, sorry, the Iraqis reacted after the last attacks by announcing that they were putting the main ports of Israel, Haifa and... <coughs> all of the ports under siege and that these this was being done by missile attacks there's already been missile attack on Haifa and on Ashdod the two big ports Um, and Elat is already closed so what I was describing to you you know the box the sides of the boxing in of Israel are getting tighter and tighter and tighter and Israel doesn't know how to get out any sort of solution by trying to do a sort of hostage deal would not be seen as a victory by its own people, let alone the outside world. And therefore, the only thing you can do is ultimately to go for broke and go for something bigger and try and draw in the United States to support it. Because Israel will, I mean, almost certainly not prevail in an all-out war uh, with Hezbollah. Hezbollah has the means to cause great damage to Israel if it is entertained. So I think for the moment, Biden is trying to find ways to sort of contain this to Gaza and perhaps to Lebanon, but Lebanon, just the south of Lebanon, south of the Litani. I don't think he wants to see Beirut, you know, like um, Gaza, sort of flattened and completely destroyed. So I think um, at the moment, you know, the main aim of the White House is industrial peace, if you like to call (laughs) it that. Last uh, question. If the war is widened and if the United States does come to the aid of Israel, uh, whether it's by air power or troops on the ground, will the United Kingdom get involved? 
you know, I think it's irrelevant because there's nothing much it can add to the United States at the moment. It doesn't have troops. It has one ship there. I mean, which is neither here nor there. It is completely impotent in the sort of struggle. It pretends to be more bigger than it, you know, it pretends to punch above its weight, but really it's in very dire situation in terms of its ability to do anything militarily. Alistair Crook, always a pleasure, my dear friend. Thank you for your time. Thank you for analysis. Your analysis. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Bye for now. Of course. Uh, coming up uh, later today, uh, Larry Johnson, uh, Ray McGovern, uh, a new guest, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Matt Homeyer, who a uh, very prominent uh, leader in the Space Force of the United States military, kicked out because he criticized the military for being too woke. You don't want to miss that. Justin Napolitano for Judging Freedom. <laughs> <laughs>